I'll begin by reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life the spirit is life because of righteousness if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you so from from what we saw last week and from what um from what dale preached on what what he he spoke on, uh, we see Paul is is building the case for the these two uh, two separate cases of life in the flesh and life in the spirit, and what does it mean to be to have life in the flesh versus what does it mean to have life in the spirit? And one of the things, one of the contexts that I want us to to be aware of today, one of the things I want us to think about is who is Paul speaking to. Who is this message delivered to? And we talked about before, he, he is, it is Roman Christians, right? It's, it's Christians in Rome. So as we, we read the message, um, the way that we begin, you, however, uh, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Why would Paul make a statement like that if he's speaking to a, a group of Christians? Why would he call into question whether the Spirit of God dwells in them? And we can see a, a, a similar problem or a similar situation today. When, when we come into a church and as, as a pastor comes and delivers a message, we don't make an assumption that all are in Christ. Because there are... I think Billy Graham said that that the largest um, mission field that we have is within the roles of our churches. Baptist churches are particularly bad. Um, how many? How big is your church? Well, we have two hundred seventy on the on the roll. How many did attend? Forty five. That's a pretty common thing, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of not funny because it's like, well, where are these two hundred and thirty two people? Where where are they? And so Paul is, is addressing, and he is not making assumptions. He, he is saying, you don't live in the flesh, you live in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So this is, this is what our message is going to be on today. This is what we're going to be uh, focusing on as we go through our, our, these three verses in the next 10 or 15 minutes, is... Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Because Paul continues on and says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Why is it important that we belong to Christ? If we don't belong to Christ, who do we belong to? You can answer. If you have to answer. Yeah, we belong to the devil. I think sometimes we envision this mighty gray area 
between God and Satan. And I know growing up, a lot of the media that I consumed sort of had this dichotomy where in this corner you have God struggling against his old enemy, Satan, and then they're locked in this Teutonic struggle, and, uh, and it's this battle over the souls of men, and, and hanging in the balance is the fate of the world. But that's ridiculous. Satan is no match for God. Satan doesn't compete with God. There's no contention. Satan operates in, a, in the way he operates to the degree that he operates with the power he has because God allows it to be so. We see this as we've been reading through the book of Job. You go this far, Satan, and this is it. Yes, you can take away all that, that Job has. Yes, you can harm his body. You can do these, but you can do no more. So it, this, this idea that there is God and then there's Satan and they're battling for this middle ground is, is utter nonsense. It's not biblical. And that's not what we see as we read Scripture. So what Paul is saying, you're born into the flesh. Each of you is born into the flesh, enemies of God, destined for hell. You are born, you live in the flesh. But when Christ dwells in you, you no longer live in the flesh. Now you live in the spirit. You have flesh. You, you have this physical body that you'll toil in, you'll dwell in until it dies. There's an appointed time for each of us that this mortal coil that we reside in will die. But our spirit is everlasting. So anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to Him. If we don't belong to Christ, we don't inherit the joys of heaven. We don't inherit eternal life in Christ. Instead, we inherit what we deserve, which is eternal punishment because of our treason against God, of our rebellion. Um, Dale had mentioned last week that sin... That, that we aren't condemned because of a sin that we commit. We are condemned because we are sinful creatures capable of nothing but sin. We can't honor God. We can't glorify God apart from His Spirit living in us. So we continue on in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. Because of righteousness. I want to take a, a brief m moment here to talk about um, some translation things. Because if, probably for most of you, the word spirit is capitalized. Spirit is life. And what does it mean when we see the word spirit capitalized? It's the Holy Spirit. Um for translation, this can be tricky because if you don't see the words in the original text say Holy Spirit, then you have to make some kind of context. You have to make some judgment. And it, it may well mean the Holy Spirit, but some commentators would, would, would put forth, and, and I, I tend to agree, this could mean our spirit a lowercase s, and that makes sense in the context of the body, meaning this body, is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life, meaning our human spirit is life because of 
the righteousness of Christ. Uh, I think both interpretations are, are acceptable, but I wanted to, to point out that um, that's kind of my thoughts on this. But in either, in either case, the reality is uh, the body is dead. Our body is dead. We see there's a scientific term called entropy that we see in everything. Every system is dying. If you look microscopically at everything, all of it is dying. Why? Because of sin. Sin in the world. We see the we see earthquakes and, and volcanoes erupting and, and all these, these terrible things that, that are happening. These are a result of the fall. And we, uh, we read that all of creation is eagerly groaning for the return of Christ. Why? So it can be made right. Our bodies are no different. When we're young, we feel vitality. We feel life. We feel energy because we're still growing. When we stop, when the, the rate of our growth is outpaced by the rate of our entropy, we start to get on things, you know, things start falling off. You start breaking down. We built a bunch of bookshelves, or put, we didn't build them. Nathan and Micah and, and Gabe and, and, and Rachel built bookshelves. Yesterday we assembled them and put them together and moved a bunch of stuff and carried out old things. And I feel like I'm going to die today. Like any minute I could fall over. Because... I, I'm weak in my flesh. I'm dead. My flesh is dead because of sin. But there's life in the Spirit of Christ. What do I? What am I going to experience after this body is dead? You've probably heard people say, "You know, when I die, I don't want to have a drab, boring funeral. I want to have an, an a celebration." If you have Christ, if you belong to Christ, you have all the reason in the world to celebrate. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel bad for me when I die. I feel bad for you. Because I go to be with Christ. So if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who, is ra who raised Jesus, this is God's Holy Spirit, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, meaning God, will also give life to your mortal bones through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, so let's, let's break that down. If we belong to Christ, then he says, one, that we'll suffer as he did. But also, if we belong to Christ, that means that our sin is laid on him, and in turn, his righteousness is laid on us. So that if Jesus died and was raised by God, and we are, and we belong to Christ, then if the Spirit of Christ is in us, when we die, we also will be raised. We will share in the same fate as Jesus because 
We belong to him. His spirit is in us. When we die, we don't, we don't die in, into torment or even as some people, some annihilationists would believe, we don't just die into nothingness. We die into a new life forever with God. And we experience God in a way that we can't right now. We can't even look on the shadow of the glory of God because we are in this dead flesh. So Paul is, is, is preaching and, and he is in this section, he is saying, look, you're in this assembly, but I'm not, I don't assume that Christ is in you. Why would he not make that assumption? I've got a few things, four things that I want to go over real quick. There are really four classes of people. There are people who are lost, utterly lost. They know it. They have no pretense. They have no affiliation with God. They have no desire for the things of God. They're lost. There are those who are saved, who have full assurance of the resurrection of the body, of being with Christ forever, because they understand, they understand Scripture to know that because Christ died and was raised, when I die, I also will be raised. There's, there are people who are saved, but don't understand that. They're restless. They fear that the sin that I committed today, maybe this has jeopardized my standing with God. Maybe he loved me yesterday, but he doesn't love me today. What can I do? How can I, how can I fix this? And, 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 and they live in turmoil because they lack assurance. And then there's a fourth group. There are those who are unsaved, yet they have false assurance. They proclaim salvation. I am saved. I was 12 years old at camp. I, every head bowed, right? Hands raised. I repeated a prayer that was told to me to repeat, so I'm saved. And they have a false assurance because, like the third group, they don't understand how salvation happens. They don't understand how that works, what that looks like. And there are a few reasons for that. Um, I sat in a church where a, a lady of about 35 came forward and gave her life to Christ. Everybody was stunned because she was born into that church. She came to the church with her grandparents since she before she could walk. She had taught Sunday school. She had done everything, every program she was involved in and was lost. So people think that because I'm a part of the body, because I'm a member of a church, that I'm saved. This is a false assumption. Another false assumption is that, well, my parents are saved. My grandparents are saved. My guardian, whoever is, is over me, they are saved. They have brought me to church. Because of their righteousness, I'm covered. Another false assumption. If we are, if we are to be saved, it is to be by the righteousness of Christ only. Only Jesus has righteousness sufficient for our salvation. Um, and another reason is um, we don't understand because we, and, and parents, I think all parents are probably guilty of this. We 
we encourage our children to make professions that maybe they they aren't they don't that aren't genuine. We encourage our children to to uh, you know we we ask leading questions or whatever, but then those things are never challenged. And if you aren't in a situation where your salvation is challenged, and I don't mean in a, in a in a bad way where um, you're always in doubt. But we're in a way like Paul says, test yourselves to know that you're in the faith. Because as Christians, is it possible for us to do sinful things and not be aware of it? Yes. I think I've witnessed in my own life sinful behavior that finally when I get with, with God on the same page and we deal with that sinful behavior and we put it to death and put it behind me, over the next horizon, what do I see? Another sin, more egregious than the first, more difficult with roots more deeply entrenched. So what do we do? We set to work putting that to death. And thus far, I'm convinced this process will happen for my entire life. If I could see the depth of my depravity right now, I would weep. I would be utterly broken. But God is, is long-suffering. This is a process, Right? This is a, a process of sanctification that we will continue to put to death deeds of sin in our flesh for all of our lives. But I, I want us all to think about these four people today. Which one of these four people are you? Because we see that there is the flesh and there is the spirit. If you live according to the flesh, death is what awaits you. If you live according to the Spirit, then life, and life more abundant, is what awaits you. Think about these things. If you are, if you are in the first category, if you're in the fourth category, be honest. One of the biggest impediments to our, our salvation may be we deceive ourselves. It's a scary thing to think about um, Obviously, it's a scary thing to think about hell. Sometimes we delude ourselves and think that we can avoid that fate by telling ourselves that, that we are in Christ when we are not. If you are in Christ, you're a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. If you are not in Christ, if you have delusioned yourself or if you have no interest at all, my recommendation, my plea, I would beg that you go before God. That you go before God and confess your sin. Recognize that you are lost. Recognize that you have no power to save yourself. Recognize that your salvation relies completely on the blood of Christ. And beg for, for, for God's forgiveness. If you're a, if you're here today and you're a believer, if you have the Spirit of God in you, but you, you constantly are doubting your salvation, uh, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Dale. And we can point you to scripture and we can, we can have discussion because the assurance of salvation is, is everywhere for us to see if we can understand it. This is one of the joys of a Christian life. The Christian life is not an easy life. It isn't a, a ticket to an easier way to live. 
It's much harder to live for Christ than it is to live for our own kingdom. But the rewards are, are not even comparable. So if you're a Christian and you, you doubt, you fear for your salvation, uh, then come, let's discuss. Uh, because this assurance of salvation is a part of your faith. Believing in salvation provided in Christ, it's, it's eternal. It's not a thing that, that uh, we pick up and put down. Um, so if you have those questions, come and talk to me afterwards. Come and talk to Dale. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Most gracious God, we are a people in desperate need of salvation. We are a people born into rebellion. We are a people who pursue our own interests, our own kingdoms, to the detriment of our soul. And Father, your gift of salvation is free. Free to us, though the cost for it was great. Today I ask that any that are here, that are not in Christ, would be pricked in their spirit, that their heart would be broken, and that the reality of an eternity in hell would be obvious to them. And in the same way, Father, that the reality of an eternity in heaven worshiping you is unimaginable. This isn't something that we deserve, God. We we recognize that your mercy is the cause for it. Your grace is uh, is what makes it possible for us that the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, our belief in Him, to have our hearts changed by you, this is the cause of our salvation. So we pray this morning and that those who have not come to you, that, that they will be broken in their hearts. And for those of us, Father, who doubt, I doubt our assurance that you would come to us and you would uh, prove to us again and again and again that you aren't a God who changes his mind. You aren't a God who turns away and you aren't a, aren't a God that sways uh, with the wind. Father, those are our conditions. You are, you are a God that doesn't change. You are a God that loves and you are a God that is all-powerful. And it's in you and you alone that we put our trust. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.